episode 124, Bottle Art. I'm Assistant Curator Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a January 12, 2011 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. An African-American man in Wabunsee County, Kansas, amazed friends and family with his ability to build sculptures inside bottles. More than just folk art, his works illustrated family stories to include the tale of his own father's enslavement. Join museum specialist Donna Ray Pearson and me as we examine the sculptures of Kansas resident Frederick Douglass. This simple mill worker displayed an odd skill for building sculptures inside milk bottles. Nobody loves a birthday party more than kids. On January 29th, Kansas turns 150 years old, and about 2,000 kids are coming to the party. Join us as we hear all about plans for the 150th Kansas Day. Finally, in Six Degrees of William Allen White, we connect a small-town newspaper editor from Emporia, Kansas, to George Washington Carver, an African-American botanist that revolutionized the use of peanuts. Did this self-educated scientist introduce William Allen White to peanut butter? But first, bottle art. Good morning, Donna Ray. Good morning, Mara. Today we are discussing some rather unusual-looking folk art sculptures, and they're really unusual because they are sculptures inside of bottles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the sculptures are carved wood figures, although it may have some um, may have some like composite or, or clay attached to them. I'm, I'm not sure, um, but some of them have would have human hair as part of them. They right. have other little parts uh, inside the bottle. Uh, but the weirdest thing is that the sculptures are housed in what typically look like quart-sized milk bottles. Exactly. Just bottles. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, the, the unusual sculptures uh, really are not that unusual, apparently. Not really. In fact, uh, this bottle thing, it's a recognized form of art known as bottle whimsy. Donna Ray, how does bottle whimsy work? And from where does the tradition originate? Now, I'll take the last part first. Bottle whimsies come probably from Germanic or Slavic tradition and date back probably to the 17th century or so. So people have been sticking stuff in bottles since the 17th century? Yeah, sticking stuff in bottles. People with a lot of time on their hands, apparently. <laughs> but they would carve little little pieces of uh, idea. So, I mean, traditionally, when you think of bottle whimsies, the most common form would be a ship in a bottle. Right, so in the bottle. Right. This is the same concept. This is the same concept. So you you carve out the little individual pieces, and you get special tools like you know really long tongs or something, and then you actually build the sculpture inside of this bottle, and then you put a cork on top of it, 
and voila. The bottle, are these bottles belong to a man named Frederick Douglass of Wabunsee County. Um, who was Mr. Douglass? Well, Frederick Douglass was just a regular guy. He was born in Alma, Kansas, probably in about 1872 or so. And we think he was either a grist mill operator, you know, the the people that farmers would take their corn to and have it ground up into flour or things mm-hmm. like that. Or he was probably a chauffeur. He lived in Alma for a good part of his life, and then he moved into Topeka. So he might have had those two different op- occupations. So he had some time on his hands when you think about it. A chauffeur, you drive someone somewhere, then, you know, you're sitting in your car, just maybe he was just whittling in between. He was a. I mean, he was an artist, right? An amateur right, artist. And right. How long? Any idea how long he had been a practicing artist? Uh, he started around the late twenties and into the early thirties or so. He actually entered some competitions at the fair, so mm-hmm. we know that at least that was the beginning point. But he had to have started before then. It doesn't look like he had any kind of formal training, so that's why we call him a folk artist. And um, so his his time span was short, but he apparently made a lot of work during that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, in what other ways did Frederick express his art, and did he ever receive any recognition? Like, what other types of artwork was he doing? And, I mean, was he, you know, is he, like, really collectible today? Do people look for Douglas <laughs> sculptures? Probably don't look for Douglas sculptures. Um, being a folk artist, he might not have had a great body of work, but I do understand that he made jewelry, also from stones that he found in the area. And he also made musical instruments. I believe I, we know that he made a violin, but we don't have it in our collection. But um, He made a violin. He made a violin. Who makes a violin? I have no... Someone with time. And <laughs> Same person who puts stuff in bottles, bottles, I guess. Exactly. But he did win some ribbons. He um, entered the state fair, I believe, that was held here in Topeka. And um, he won some ribbons for a couple of the bottles that we have. The Masonic bottle won a ribbon. And um, the the bottle that has an image of Masonic symbol inside of it. And um, he was also on display well after his death at the state capitol when we had an exhibit there about black um, settlement in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Douglas worked to capture memories and tell stories with his art. I mean, it sounds like he frequently stated that's what his goal was, is he was trying to tell stories. Um, What are the stories behind these sculptures? In particular, there's three sculptures that we're looking at, or inside bottles, so there's three Three bottles bottles we're looking at. (laughs) Um, Two of the bottles have, they almost look like tools inside of them, and the third one has a human figure. Um, the two with the tools, What? any idea what the story is related to these? Well, Douglas was the son of a slave. It looks like his father came to Kansas probably in the 1870s, early 1870s, because um, uh, Douglas was born in 1872. So... We believe that Douglas captured some of his father's stories of being a slave inside of the bottle, and that's what one of the composite looks like. There's a chain in there. There looks like there's some farm implements in it. So he created this composite figure, maybe perhaps representing slavery. Another um, bottle has a Masonic emblem inside of it. Uh, Prince Hall Masons, he was most likely a member of that group. Um, they came what, to, what is that group? Prince Hall Masons is the black branch of the 
the Masonry Group. Oh, really? The Freemasons, right. They um, were established in Kansas in about 1865. So it would have been a status symbol for, it would have been a status for him to be a part of Prince Hall. Mm -hmm. And um, he would have represented that also in a, he represented that in a bottle, probably just to show his honor and um, what a privilege it was to be a Mason for him at that point in time. The other bottle probably taps into the religious side of his life. Yeah, one of the sculptures, it depicts a human figure, uh, but that figure's kind of unique looking. It's, it has blue skin, and it's got these giant white eyes. Do you have any idea who this figure is? Um, and is this style of depicting someone, I mean, is it unique to this sculpture, or do you see these you know, big wide eyes and blue skin repeat in other, in other forms of his art? Well, I, we see it in other bottles, the blue, sure. especially. And, you know, right, and you I'm, have I'm, to, I'm, I'm to the point where I think you know, he had a bucket of blue paint, <laughs> <laughs> and he just used that repeatedly. He had blue, white, and red, and uh-huh. he used it a lot in his bottles because folk artists, don't necessarily go out and buy the best or whatever. They use what they have on yep. hand, found objects. And if so, it's one can of blue paint? The, the, you use that bl- can of blue paint till it's gone. So we think he used, I think he used that repeatedly throughout his sculptures. But um, we're not really sure about that. I think the figure is probably representative of Jesus Christ. He, okay. You know, at that time, um, African-Americans were very religious. And so he, again, would have been taking something from his personal life and cr- putting that memory inside of a bottle. And it was stylized. It was not, you know, what we see as the traditional sure. um, Jesus Christ. But I think it was Jesus Christ in a bottle. Well, it looks like it, sh- it does look like a Jesus Christ in a bottle. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's in a kind of a crucifixion pose, mm-hmm. and, you know, it does look, uh, you know, it's not a 100% accurate representation of a human, but again, maybe that was also just because it was easier to shape it like that when you're trying to Ten. assemble it inside of a bottle. bottle. Exactly. <laughs> you got to do think, what you got to do. Gotta, yeah, I think you got to, you know, give them a little latitude on sure. that, don't you? You know, sure. when you're trying to get inside the bottle. And it's not just a little skinny figure. It's a good-sized figure. So mm-hmm. getting it inside that bottle would have been a challenge. I'm not quite sure how he did it. Do you think, were, were these works commissioned at all? Or did he ever, did he sell any of his works? Or was it purely just, like, you know, him as a hobbyist artist? I think he was just a hobbyist artist. Uh, he did it for family and friends. I mean, we know that he did a train inside of a bottle for his brothers mm-hmm. that worked on the Santa Fe Railroad. Um, so, and that's how we ended up with these bottles. Long after that he died, they were passed on to his granddaughter, and his granddaughter then gave them to us. Excellent. Well, Donna Ray, thanks for uh, telling us about Frederick Douglass and his bottle whimsy. All right. Thank you, Mom. The subject of today's Kanza quiz is sculptors. What present-day sculptor recently completed a life-size grouping of President Barack Obama and his family called the Inauguration of Hope? One hundred and fifty years ago, Kansans danced in the street when statehood was announced. On January 29th, 2,000 students will be dancing through the halls of the Capitol and the Kansas Historical Society as they celebrate Kansas Day. 
today, Education Outreach Coordinator Lois Hare tells us all about events that take place during Kansas Day 2011. Good afternoon, Lois. Hello. This year's Kansas Day is a little different than the normal Kansas Day. Uh, what is what is unique about Kansas Day 2011? Well, Kansas Day is always our state's birthday, but this year is really important because it's a sesquicentennial. And that's a big word. That is a big word. <laughs> and that basically means that it's the 150th anniversary for the state of Kansas. So okay. it's a big birthday. Uh, though Kansas Day falls on the 29th of this month, events actually begin on the, 20th, on the 27th. And these events are probably of particular interest to philatelists. Uh, what happens on the 27th, Lois? Well, that's another big word. Um, basically, Kansas has a new 150th stamp, and the first day of issue is going to be on the 27th of January. It's going to be held here at the Kansas Museum of History. Governor Brownback will be here. There will be representatives from Washington from the U.S. Postal Service. Wow. Uh, so the, the stamp, feds are coming. They are coming. So that will be released, and then right after the ceremonies, it will the stamp will be issued, and they'll be available for sale, and you'll get the cancellation. We are going to be selling the stamps and their cachet throughout the year here at the museum store. So if nice. you're working and you miss that day, you can always come out and pick one up. There will be other opportunities yes. to buy your sesquicentennial stamp. Yes. Uh, Friday the 28th, it's a day dedicated to the kids. If I were a kid headed to the museum and just brimming with excitement to celebrate Kansas Day, what would I expect to see when I arrived here? Well, we've got a lot of activities going on. You could, well, to start with, you could probably expect to see a lot of kids. A lot we of other kids. We invite about 2,000 of our closest friends on that day, so we're packed with people. Um, we have two performers that will be here that day. Rosie Coutrier is going to be doing pioneer stories and songs, and the Standing Bear Gourd Society will be doing Native American music and drumming. So those will be taking place back in our classroom section. When you first come in through the doors, you'll see our whole museum lobby has been taken over with tables full of hands-on activities. You're going to be able to vote on computer for your famous, your favorite famous cans, and you'll nice. be able to look um, for fossils that are found in northeast Kansas. Um, you'll be able to try making a pot out of clay like the Native Americans did and use the same materials they did to learn how they did that. When you go in the gallery, um, we've got the new exhibit opening that day, 150 Things I Love About Kansas. We will also have people demonstrating oldie-timey crafts and skills, weaving, yeah. quilting, horn carving. Excellent. So lots of stuff going on that day. So lots of activity. It really is kind of fun when you get here. I know it sounds like a lot of kids, but it's fun to watch them because they really do get excited about Kansas Day. It is, and it's a lot of kids, but they kind of get spread out over the day, so they're not here all at once. And so. and to register, do I just go to our website, kshs.org? Yeah, if you go to our website, um, you will find a link to Kansas Day at the museum. And once you get there, you'll get all the information you need. Okay. As always, a simultaneous a celebration will be taking place at the Capitol Building, which is downtown. We're on the edge of Topeka. The Capitol Building's downtown. But this year, you can actually watch the events at the Capitol from the comfort of your own home. How is this possible, Lois, and what will folks at home see? Well, it's possible because we do have a big event going on down there, and the PBS affiliates throughout the state have offered to broadcast this simultaneously. 
So as long as you're picking up a PBS signal, you can watch the events at the Capitol. Um, down there, that, that'll be at 10 o'clock, too, if you're watching for it. Governor Brownbeck will be there and other key dignitaries, and they will be um, reading off a resolution that recognizes important people and events in Kansas history. Um, so there's going to be a lot of people there. There'll be a flyover of big planes. Oh, nice. You know, just there's going to be a lot of things going on. And if we don't get another big snowstorm like the nine and a half inches we've had, it'll take place outside on the steps. Oh, really? Yes. If we get more snow, it may move inside to the house chambers. Uh-huh. Well, because adults love Kansas Day just as much as kids, uh, the Historical Society is hosting events on Saturday, the 29th. Uh, What is in store for families on the actual Kansas Day? Kansas Day itself, the 29th, is going to be a really fun event. It's going to be something we hope lots of families come out for, you know, anybody that just likes Kansas. Um, What we wanted to do with that event was showcase the cultural diversity of the state and also show people's pride in their state and how Kansas inspires them to do things. Um, So we're going to have a number of musical groups performing there. Um, A polka band doing Eastern European polka music. We have somebody doing polka music. No, you can't. And we'll have somebody doing singing Irish songs. Um, We've got a mariachi group that will be there. So we've got music going on throughout the days. Um, With the same cultural diversity, we've got two vendors that will be selling food so you can come out by your lunch there, we'll have um, some Greek and Lebanese food, and we'll have beer there, plus sunflower cookies, cinnamon rolls. I mean, there's something for everything. I'm Bobby. actually getting hungry as you're talking yeah. about this right now. Yeah, it, it should be really good. Um, we have a lot of people demonstrating crafts and trades and things that have been part of Kansas for the last 150 years. We'll have a tailor there. Um, from the 19th century. We'll have somebody doing paper cutting. Um, We'll have spinners and weavers, um, wood carvers. So that that whole aspect of our history, you know, you'll see demonstrated there. And we also have a number of artists that are coming in for the day, and they're going to be showcasing their work. They will be doing art talks throughout the day, talking about Mm. their work, what inspires them, and how being a Kansan and living in Kansas has been part of their work. Uh, Kansas Day can be a bit of a survivalist game. A lot of stuff and a lot of kids going on at one time. Lois, uh, can you give me three tips for surviving and enjoying Kansas Day? Uh, I have a couple tips, and I'll give them first. My first tip is to dress up like John Brown. Kids will either be completely freaked out and leave you alone, or they'll think you're Abraham Lincoln and they'll adore you. I've seen this. Uh, Number two, bring your own glue bottle. That way, you won't have to use the goobered up bottles uh, while building your own sunflower. You know, sometimes the other kids, they kind of get things, turn glue bottles nasty. And then my final suggestion... (laughs) Aren't these great suggestions, Lois? They are for Friday, for the Friday's event. That's true, yes. okay. Yes. Uh, use, uh, use the bathroom before you arrive. I mean, the museum has lovely bathrooms, and they're kept very clean, but 2,000 kids going through a bathroom, uh, it, 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 can, it can have an effect. So those are my okay. three suggestions, Lois. So if you have any. 
Well, I don't know if I can top those, but <laughs> Kansas Day really is fun. But you really need to come out and just sit back and enjoy the ride, and you'll have a great time. Excellent. Thanks, Lois. Thank you. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. My name is Donna Ray, and the answer to today's Kanza quiz is Ed Dwight. Kansas City, Kansas born, Ed Dwight became a bronze sculptor later in life and his work reflects African American history. Before becoming a sculptor, Dwight is the first black to train as an astronaut in 1962. Try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me this week is librarian Teresa Coble. Hello. And registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hi. This week we are connecting William Allen White, the small town newspaper editor from Emporia, Kansas, to George Washington Carver, uh, an innovative botanist that revolutionized the use of peanuts. Mm -hmm. And he was an African American as well. Teresa, you want to give us a little background on Mr. Carver? Yes. Uh, well, Carver's exact birth date is unknown, but it is commonly accepted that he was born a slave in Missouri in 1864. And following emancipation, his previous owner, a German immigrant named Moses Carver, adopted young Carver. And at 13, Carver came to Kansas and finished high school in Minneapolis. He sent several letters to colleges and was finally accepted at Highland College in Highland, Kansas. And upon arrival, Carver was rejected from the school because he was black. Uh, poor decision, Highland. Yeah. Poor decision. <laughs> they will pay. <laughs> uh, Carver then loaded a wagon and headed to the isolated Ness County in western Kansas to establish a land claim. Uh, there he began pioneering research into the use of alternate crops and experimental woods shrubbery. Which would be difficult in western Kansas. Yeah, yeah. My shrubbery is just not coming along well. <laughs> Um, so soon Carver enrolled at Iowa State Agriculture College, where he experienced, I'm sorry, where he experienced professional success. In 1896, Carver was invited to work at the prestigious Black University, the Tuskegee Institute. And he was he was invited by Booker T. Washington himself. Oh wow! Yeah, and he that's stayed, quite an invite. Yeah, and Carver stayed there for like forty-seven years. Oh wow! Oh, yeah. you know, you got something good going. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Blair here. <laughs> Uh, so throughout his life, Carver's primary goal was to develop profitable and sustainable crops at an alternative, as an alternative to cotton in southern states. And so by his death, Carver had discovered 300 uses for peanuts and hundreds for soybeans, pecans, and sweet potatoes. Listen to, I love this list of stuff. I, I, I really like shaving cream. So, um, <laughs> right, so um, his suggested uses uh, included adhesives, axle grease, ink, uh-huh. Linoleum, plastic, shaving cream, and biofuel. So he was like yeah. the original like green farmer. You know what I'm saying? The guy was inventing biofuels. You know, I just picture him on late night television. You know, trying to like um, you know, at one o'clock <laughs> in the morning, <laughs> selling my like, peanut shaving cream. <laughs> so. I don't quite understand how the same how the same basic material can be used to make biofuel shaving cream. And like linoleum. And peanut butter. Right. Is it good butter. to eat the peanut butter? I don't I don't understand. 
All right, Teresa, thanks for giving us some background. Yeah. And, Nikayla, I think you have a solution. You found a way to connect William Allawhite to the famous botanist. There are lots of ways to connect William Allawhite to George Washington Carver. Um, they seem to have a lot of friends in common, but uh, here's, here's one of the more interesting ones. So while he was teaching at the Tuskegee Institute, Carver um, had the job of escorting a famous female photographer named Frances Benjamin Johnston when she visited the Institute. So he uh, kind of took her around and toured the campus. Right. It didn't and go well, did it? In what way? I think they got shot at when they went to a, when they went to a local town. When they took this white oh, yeah. photographer oh, into a local yeah. town, yeah. Um, some people thought that George Washington Carver and the other African American escort it was improper relations with the white, and they shot at him. Right. That's yeah, true. that's not good. Not good. No. <laughs> no. But while she was there, even though she was shot at, <laughs> Johnson took a staff photo that included Carver. Um, he was like front and center uh, in the photograph, so she took that picture while she was there. Johnston uh, was famous for taking photos of many well-known people, among them Susan B. Anthony, who oh, we know fun. visited William Allen White's house, possibly when he was an infant. It was in the 1860s, and White was born in 1868. So, And an even shorter solution is that uh, George Washington Carver knew Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Just in case you guys have forgotten Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of knew it wasn't going to be hard to connect him because the guy lived, they both lived in Kansas, so they're bound to have some common interests and friends. Circles are probably very small at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, nicely done, Nikayla. Uh, Teresa, would you like to issue the challenge for our next podcast? All right, sure. So in two weeks, we will indulge Merle's fascination with Excellent. big buildings, which I didn't know about this fascination, mm-hmm. but um, by connecting William Allen White to the Burj Dubai Tower. Built in the modern Arab city-state of Dubai, the Burj is the ultimate expression of oil power and is literally over the top. Completed in 2010, the Burj stands at 2,717 feet, making it the tallest man-made structure on Earth. Indeed. So come back when we connect William Allen White to the Burj Dubai. Did White have similar plans to project corporate power when he constructed the tallest building in Emporia? Because that's, that tower. Because that's equally impressive. <laughs> and you could have it all. My empire of dirt. That concludes episode 124, Bottle Art. If you would like to see images of Frederick Douglass's art in a bottle, go to our website at kshs.org and click on Podcast from the Interact menu. Or go to our online digital repository at kansasmemory.org. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, or even about the artifacts discussed in our podcast, drop us a line. Send an email to podcast at kshs.org. That's podcast with an S. In the next episode, Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman and I examine a drawing of the Wicked Witch of the West. First created for the Wizard of Oz books of the 1890s, the Wicked Witch devastated children in the 1939 film adaptation and came to be one of the most feared fictional villains in American pop culture. But was the witch evil or just misunderstood? Come back in two weeks to find out. But here's a clue. Normal people don't hang out with flying monkeys. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people 
real stories. My empire of dirt I will let you down